Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning. If you are fairly new to our church, my name is Dave. I have the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at our church, and I also have the privilege of speaking from this pulpit more often than the other pastors get to do, and I... I really enjoy uh, preaching. Uh, I think God put a fire in my bones to do it. I don't know if you enjoy receiving it as much as I enjoy doing it, but the book of James has been, for me, really an important book in my life. Uh, It has helped me learn just how practical our faith is and should be. Um, Today, we're going to look at a passage whose words are pretty familiar to most of us. But just to see if it's relevant at all, I want to ask you a couple personal questions. You by no means are obligated to raise your hand, but if you feel comfortable doing so, I just want to get a sense of of who's in the room. So if you feel okay just doing this, let me ask, how many of you feel like managing your temper or your anger level has been one of the challenges you've worked through in your life? Okay, all right, great. Raise it like you're mad. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's me. All right. Uh, and let me ask you another question. How many of you have been negatively affected by someone who's had anger issues? Okay. <laughs> so, I'm looking at my kids. All like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I will say this. I don't think the subject of anger is something that's just pie in the sky. It's irrelevant. I think it matters a great deal. And I think more than we're ready to admit, anger has caused a lot of damage in a lot of lives. It's led to the breakdown of some things we really care about. It's killed relationships. Anger is really a destructive force in human life. And so we want to talk about <clears throat> what anger's nature is and how, how it, it serves really as an impediment to the things God is wanting to do. Uh, Adlai Stevenson, who was a U.S. senator and, in fact, the elementary school I attended was named after him, he spoke at Princeton once, and he said these words, "Um, I understand I'm here to speak and you're here to listen. Let's hope that we both finish at the same time. (laughs) I think that's a a good little word to remember in preaching. There's there's some things I want to say that I feel the Lord has called me to say to you, um, but it's possible if these are really relevant personal issues for you, that you're going to be tempted to check out somewhere in between. And so I'm going to ask you to hang with me the whole way. The title of the message is Open to the Truth. It comes from James 1, 19 to 21. Here are those verses. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness That God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If I were to offer you a list of things not to do when you're angry or upset or under stress, I think maybe some of the things that would appear on that list are um, don't go golfing. Because your stroke will just be off and you're going to get mad and you're going to break expensive equipment. I've gone golfing when I'm distracted and it's not, on my best day, I stink. 
boy, when I'm not 100% there. Here's another one. Don't go shopping because for a moment it'll be therapeutic. You'll be excited. But when that bill comes, you're going to hate yourself even more. And certainly don't cut your kid's hair um, because therapy is expensive. And when you're upset, there are certain things you really just should avoid doing. Now, you can shut that slide down. I felt so bad for this kid when I found him on the Internet. Um, That's just a funny way of saying this. When we're upset, when we're facing trials, when we're under pressure, none of us are really truly at our best. In fact, when you're facing trials and when you're stressed out and you're, uh, you really feel embattled and under attack, most of us don't respond well to that. Now, some of us, we're sort of chest numbers, like, no, that's when I'm at my best, dude. That's when my inner Rocky comes out, and I'm the Terminator, and I'll be back. And, you know, we feel like maybe we're really tough under pressure. But the truth is, when, when enough pressure is heaped on us, not just at work, but in your private life, most of us begin to show leaks in the hull of our vessel. Things start to get sloppy. We start to um, behave in ways, say things and do things that are not reflective of who we really are or who we really want to be. Many of us, when we're under stress, do things and say things that allow the damage being done to us to spill over and spread to other people. You know, there's an old and I think very wise saying, misery loves company. And I think it's true. When I'm miserable, I feel better when you're also a little more miserable because then I'm not the only one. We have to remember that James is writing to Christians who are facing trials. Right out of the gate, when you look at at the first couple chapters of James, his first words are, Count it all joy when you endure trials of many kinds. And what he's saying is he's presuming that the people he's writing to are under a lot of hardship and pressure. Life is not at all easy for them, and many things and many people are attacking them. This is the context in which they have to live as Christians in this broken, ugly, fallen world. And he's trying in his pastoral heart to give them advice that will help them hang on to Jesus and hang on to their faith so that even as they pass through the valley of the shadow of death, rather than being destroyed by the trials, they can actually slingshot around and grow through them. What James is saying is because Jesus is alive and because there's truth to be had, we don't have to be crushed by the things that that are out to get us, but we can actually turn defeat into victory. You can not only survive it, but you can thrive through hardship if you understand how to gain biblical wisdom and to grow the way God is trying to get us to grow through our hardships. Now, the words in these verses are good advice under any situation, but they're especially helpful for people who are facing trials and feeling a lot of internal pressure. And so I want to give you a, a few insights from this passage that I think will actually help you deal with your own strain and come out of your own trials, your personal trials, victorious and thriving. And the first thing I want to point out that James says here is he says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. 
It's a pretty straightforward verse. In fact, the, the word listen is not any special word in the Greek. It's just you know, the same Greek word from which we get acoustics, which is why I chose headphones. That's one of the reasons why. The opening slides and throughout this presentation, you'll see pictured the latest object of my fleshly desire. These are the Bose Quiet Comfort 15 brown leather wrapped headphones with noise canceling technology. I met this sweet looking thing at the Apple store recently. Uh, I allowed her to touch my ears and I was transported into another world. It was like the, the, the background noise of the store just went, disappeared. And all of a sudden, I'm just in this cocoon of silence. I'm like, what is happening? And I've had noise canceling before, but this was like um, a newborn kitten breathing into my ear, something like that. It, just, it was something <laughs> magical, like baby's butts just mounted on my ears. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. I'm glad to see these large puffy, retro-style headphones making a comeback. Do you guys remember in the 70s and 80s? Everyone walked around with these massive headphones and boom boxes. I, I think that day's coming back, and I'm very excited about that. I know some members of my small group are also very excited about those days returning. And let me tell you, okay, the reason I like these headphones is earbuds are great for when you're just jogging or when you're doing work at Starbucks. And, you know, earbuds are for background noise, Earbuds are good when music is incidental to what you're doing, where you want, you're doing something else, but it'd be nice to have a soundtrack. So you put in earbuds, you put on your iPod or your iPhone at a low volume, and it's just there. Just like in every store you walk into, we almost can't exist without background music. But when you put on headphones like this, what you're saying to the world and to yourself is, music is no longer incidental, it's really the point. You use this kind of technology when what you're really after is to hear the music, not just to listen to it while you do other stuff, but you're not doing anything. You're sitting in your most comfortable chair, and when someone asks you, what are you doing? It's very rare to say this, but you say, I'm listening to music. Yeah, yeah, but what else are you doing? No, that's it. I'm listening. I'm really hearing the music. And if you get good headphones and you, you crank it up just right, and you have a good fidelity to your source... Let me tell you, you start hearing stuff in your music you never even knew was there. I was listening to some songs from the 80s that I jammed to all the time, but with headphones on, I was like, I never heard that little ding, 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 in the back. I, I was picking stuff up because I was no longer doing anything but listening to and for the music. Here's, here's another way of saying it that I, I, I've become fond of saying is I'm listening at the music. I know that doesn't make any grammatical sense, but, you know, like when we say I'm looking at something, it tells us I'm looking right at it. And so when I say I'm listening at the music, it kind of communicates I'm really listening intently for every note, every detail, and nothing else is competing for my attention. I think that really is a visual picture of the spirit in which James is saying, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. What he's saying is be eager be anxious, be very, very pursuing of the voice of God in your life. He's not saying be quick to listen to everybody, because can we all agree together, not everybody has something worth hearing. 90% of the stuff people say is just drivel. They might as well just be going wah, 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 you know, like the Charlie Brown, wah, wah, wah. That's what kids hear when we talk, I guess. But really, that's probably about the value that most human speech has today. 
And that's why when we're, when we're listening for voices, a wise person will be extremely selective in which voices will be let in. Now, I don't have a lot of time to listen to music okay, or listen at music. Most of the time, music is just background part of my life. So when it's just background, I'm not that choosy. Anything will do. I'll put on a playlist and just let it run because I don't care what it is as long as it's not just silence. But when I have that rare opportunity to sit down and really listen, I pick the songs very intentionally because it's occupying my full mind. The same way with books. When I was a young pastor, I bought every book that ever got featured in a magazine for pastors. I, I was reading everything, every blog. Now I realize I don't have the time to read 90% of the garbage that gets published today. So you've got to be a little more selective in what you read because every moment you have is a gift to yourself and to the Lord, and you're stewarding it. And frankly, a lot of it just isn't worth it. Are you selective in the voices you allow past the outer guard of your life? Are you selective in which voices get to shape how you think? And if you actually believe, if you're one of those individuals who's deluded enough to believe no voice outside of you influences you, please stop drinking right away. If you think that no outside voice has any sway on the way you think, you're wrong. There isn't a human being created who is not susceptible to the influence of voices. The only thing you have control over is which voices you let in the door. You don't have control over... Listen, you may think that you decide what you believe, what you will do, and that's a great illusion, but even your stance in that regard is borrowed largely from your experiences growing up, from the voices that shaped who you are. There are a lot of people who think there are no voices in the world. We just sit here and turn up the music and exist. The fact that you're even scrutinizing which voices, that comes from somewhere. Every one of us is the product of influences and voices that shaped us. Which voices are you listening for intentionally? When it's time to listen entirely with all your attention, which voices get the airtime? I think a lot of well-meaning people, even in church, have given horrific advice. And I get where it's coming from, you know, because our culture is shaped this way. To be a good friend is just to say what everyone wants to hear. You know, I'm thinking about quitting my job. You know, this friend of yours has no other skills. They're lucky to have the job they have, but they're mad at their boss. They're like, I'm going to quit my job. And I guess to be a good friend today is go, yeah, boy, you go quit that job. They can't treat you like that. And to be a friend today is just to tell people back to them what they're saying already. But I think a good friend would go, uh, hold on a second, can we time out? You, you can't work anywhere else, you know. You need this money badly. You got some kids to raise and feed, and maybe you shouldn't quit right yet. Um, maybe think about it a little. I find that a lot of well-meaning people say things to others that would better have been left completely unsaid because as you speak, if your voice is not the same as the voice of God, you are sowing the seeds of destruction in the life of another person, and you're doing it packaged in kisses. You're doing it in the name of friendship, but what you're really doing is poisoning their life. The truth is, in this world filled with voices, the only consistently trustworthy and redeeming voice is the voice of God. 
And for those of us who are not trained to seek out and listen to that voice, our hearts and our souls are like Grand Central Station. I mean, every voice has equal airtime. It's like that, that little podium I saw in Copenhagen in the middle of a square where basically anybody could stand up and just start talking and people would gather around in a circle and you could just be a public speaker just because you're in public and you're speaking. And if you're not selective of the voices you seek out, that's how your heart's going to be. The big question, uh, by the way, um, God's voice comes to us in a lot of different forms. I think most directly, God's primary voice in our lives is found in Scripture. And that's why if you're not reading your Bible regularly with a hungry and open heart, you're really not hearing much from God at all in your life. That we need to establish that and repeat it often. If you're not reading the Word of God regularly, you are not hearing very much from God's voice. And as a result, it will be all the voices other than God's that will have a primary influence on the way you think and live. You can protest that all you want, but it's just a mathematical truth. If God's voice is muzzled, then it's the other voices that rule in your life. Uh, He also speaks to us through listening prayer. When we're in a posture of really listening for him, he will sometimes whisper convictions to our hearts. It doesn't carry the same reliability or weight and authority as scripture, but it's one valid way God talks to us. He also speaks to us. His voice can be heard in the wise and loving counsel of godly spiritual advisors, people whose faith you admire, people who you know love Jesus, are true to his word, and are speaking to you out of genuine Christ-centered love, those voices, even when they're saying hard things, can be trusted because they're not out to wound you, they're out to bless you. And very often, God has spoken to me through people just like that. Today, you don't even have to go to a church to hear sermons. You can get onto your web browser and hear the best preaching in the world from just about any place. Some cases you have to pay $3.99. But in most cases, it's free, and you can hear great preaching, and God speaks to us through that preaching. Here's another one that most people today don't even realize exists. There are these devices made out of paper with some glue on the back, and words are written on them. And if you open them and read them, like stuff comes into your brain. They're called books. When's the last time you guys picked up a book? Who's, who's reading a book right now? Anyone? Good, good. That's good. That's, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. I mean, five years ago, maybe ten years ago, we invited a, a great local writer and speaker, and he brought boxes of his own book, a very good book, by the way, tried to give them away for free in our church, and he left with with the entire same number of boxes, minus two books. And he's like, Dave, what's with your church? I tried to give away my book. Nobody wanted to carry it home. I got to carry it home myself. So, so, you know, books are a great source of God's voice and wisdom. And I have been tremendously blessed. My life has been changed by things I've read in books. And so I've never given up the practice of reading books. But the big question of our life is not where you will hear his voice But the real question we're wrestling with all of us is whether we want to hear it at all or not. That's the real question. You can find God's voice all over the world in your life. The biggest battle is not where to find it. It's whether you want it at all. Now, just because you encounter God's voice in your life doesn't mean you're going to like what you hear. In fact, when we're under strain, 
a lot of times what God says to us is not really that welcome. And that's why I think what James says next is, um, be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why should that immediately follow on the heels of be quick to listen? Because he's saying, listen, you don't have to listen to everybody, but you must be eager, quick to listen to the voice of God. But when you really listen for it, you might go, well, maybe I should have stopped listening a while ago because what God says to us sometimes is really hard to hear. Have you found that to be true in your life? Now, I find that sometimes the hardest things to accept are scriptural teachings because some of the things I read when I start to actually take it seriously, I go, that's going to really jack up my life. It's a very troubling thing God's saying to us. The easiest thing would just be to ignore it, pretend it wasn't in the book, and just move on. But I can't do that because I happen to be a Bible professional. And so when I read this stuff, it's very inconvenient, isn't it? It's very troubling. But a lot of the times, the most irritating truths that are hard to listen to are when God speaks to me through other people. And that's why I think what James says next is so important. He says, you might hear the voice of God, and you might find that you don't like what that voice is saying to you. And the very next response in us, naturally, will likely be defensiveness and anger. You know what? I disagree with what you just said. I don't. And we go on and on and on debating the merits of what that person is saying. Now, I'm not saying every spiritual advisor is always right. But only a fool's first gambit out of the chess game is to start attacking the person who's trying to help you. You know, I don't go and counsel people to have a dueling match to see which one of us is smarter. I'm going to try to mess up your life. See if you can block that one. I don't need that drama in my life, right? Nobody does. But sometimes it feels like that. Like you're, you're trying to bless someone with truth, and what they're trying to do is spar with you. Oh, yeah? Nice try, buddy. Love of God. You know? And it's like, why am I in here? What, what am I doing here with you right now? The word slow to speak means not like, hello, what are you saying? Like, don't speak slowly. It means be hesitant. Don't let your first move, your first impulse, always be to put words in your mouth and spit them out because a lot of the times when you're under strain, the words coming out are far less valuable than the words coming in. The stuff I say when I'm under strain is rarely useful to anyone, especially myself. One of my favorite TV shows these days is a show... How many of you guys know who this is? Is there anyone in this room who knows this? All right, my brothers and sisters. This is Anthony Melchiori. He's the host of a show called Hotel Impossible. I'm hopelessly addicted to this show, as I am to all shows related to renewal and rescue. I can't get enough of this stuff. But this guy's show really excites me. He is like a 20-plus-year veteran in the hotel industry, and he's one of those passionate guys who, to him, he, he addresses the hotel business the way I address pastoral ministry. When someone calls themselves pastors, I immediately have the highest bar raised in my heart for that person because that's the bar I'm holding up for myself. And so out of that sense of of earnestness and calling, I don't like when people call themselves pastors and then hang out looking at ESPN.com at Starbucks all day and don't get anything done. That's not pastoring, but it's just laziness, man. So I, I get upset when I see people who are pastors but are not living like pastors. Anthony feels the same way about hotel people. He hates when someone buys a hotel because they were bored and thought it would be easy. He's like, you thought this would be easy? 
And he just lays into him. And so these people are owners of struggling hotels at the brink of ruin. And they call him in and turn over everything for a week and say, can you fix my hotel and rescue the business? Now, here's the thing. Anthony Melchiori is not a gentle soul. Okay? He's, you can just tell by looking at him, he's in a bad mood almost all the time. Like, he's, not, he's an okay guy. But like he's, when he starts finding problems in your business... He is relentless in pinning the blame on the owner. He never lets them squirm away, oh, it was the economy. It was, no, you're the problem. You don't know what you're doing. You have ruined your own hotel, and if you want me to fix it, you've got to admit that, first of all. That you can't point the finger at every other contributor. Yes, the economy is tough, but why are there other hotels making it? Yes, this town is drying up, but there's a hotel down the street still charging $100 a room at 80% occupancy. Yes, you're afraid of computers, but your son is not. Why don't you ask him to set up a computer system for you? And on and on it goes. They keep parrying, dodging, sparring with him, one excuse after another. And at some point, sometimes you get upset enough that they go on the counterattack. They start getting personal. And the foolishness of the whole thing is, you're the dummies who called him in because you couldn't run your hotel. Can we pause for a second and go back to the beginning? Why is he even at your property? To attack and judge you? You couldn't make it work. There's no shame in admitting that. That's actually a good thing that you can say, look, I can't do this. Either I'll lose it or I'm going to need help. That's the smartest thing they did was reach out for help. But then the help comes and they start whacking him, dodging everything. And what I learned from that is you cannot grow from the truth if you're Fighting it all the time, blocking it, dodging it. A new martial would call soul kwando. You know, it's just, it's just like, <laughs> like every time God's trying to get in, you're like, ah, no way am I going to let that kind of stuff get past here. And the only one losing when you're defensive and argumentative and angry and too quick to speak before you really listen is you. It's not that you have nothing to say. It's not that your position is totally invalid. Let's just get that out of the way right now. You do have a position. You have a story. There are things stacked up against you. Life is not entirely fair. But if we, la- if we belabor those things, if we just let you rant on those things all day long, what good will come out of that for you? See, righteous anger propels growth. But James says it's important to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to be angry Because God wants us to be righteous, and by that righteousness to have the actually full experience of life, but being too quick to speak, quick to defend ourselves, quick to become angry at the world and at other people, that becomes an impediment to the righteousness that God is seeking for us. What he says very simply is that man's anger does not produce righteousness. And we need to hear this because I think we're convinced, maybe it, it's, it's actually the other way around. The way we often live, it seems like we're convinced that anger is the only way to make things right. We're so committed to anger in the United States. <clears throat> By the way, the kind of anger James is talking about here, it's a very specific word. It's not that hot flash of rage, okay? So we're not talking mainly about temper. We're talking about that deep-seated very like it's a brooding, smoldering, resentful, bitter kind of anger. 
It's the kind of anger that becomes a guy in a clock tower sniping people someday. That kind of anger, like, I can't take it anymore. It's brewing. It's boiling up in me. And you've held it for a while, but sooner or later, you're going to go post on someone because this is not a hot flash of rage. It is just a positional, structural anger at the universe. Why is the world like this? Why am I like this? Why are you like this? Why is everything like this? And then at some point, you just go, I hate everything. It's all terrible. There's no point. Have you ever gotten even close to that place in your life? You could, you could, you know, do that. I feel like I'm the only one sometimes who has problems at this church. You guys ever feel like you're at that point? You just go, everything is bad. I hate my relationships. I hate my job. I hate my body. I hate my house. I hate my stupid car. I hate my, you just, you're so angry at just everything. Let me ask you, how much real good ever came out of venting that anger? I asked you earlier in the service, how many of you have been negatively affected by an angry person? A lot of us raised our hands. How many of you, by that same person, were shaped and molded redemptively by that anger? You're like, but if they weren't so angry, I wouldn't be the person I was today. Thank God for that rage and bitterness, because it shaped me into the person I am today in a good way. Anybody just so thankful for the anger that bludgeoned you into goodness? Anybody? There's got to be one, clearly. No? So do we not learn anything from this? That God's word is true. Your anger is fruitless. It's pointless. It may be there. It may be seething. It may have real-world moorings. But it's going to accomplish nothing in the direction of a more righteous Godward life. You may feel good to indulge in it a little bit. But too much of it will kill you. Because it is actually getting in the way of the very things God wants to do. I mean, just a small example. How many of you are just mad at the weather right now? So I get it, right? Because, you know, some of us should be living in Florida and we don't know it yet. We don't have the, um, the... what do you call that? Um, manliness? I don't. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We don't have the fortitude and patience for this kind of winter. But at some point, how stupid is it to be mad at weather? It ruins your whole day because you feel punished by the climate, but it does nothing to change the world. It only affects the way you feel living in the world you can't change. And that's just a small picture of the futility, the weakness of anger as a change agent in the world. Anger changes nothing but my own mood. Spring is not coming any sooner just because you go, I can't stand it, I'm so done, I'm sick of this winter, I wish spring would come. Yeah, well, you know what, so would I. I. I don't really like this that much. But it's just weather. It's cold. It's snow. It's a little shoveling. It's a little manual labor. It's a thing. It's just there. And if you can accept it and realize you're being angry about it changes nothing, you can actually move on with your day and not ruin every other thing because it's cold out. Now, that's just a small thing. And I know most of the people here are mature enough that the weather has not beaten you down to the point of non-recovery, right? But I've watched over the course of my years, lots of people try to use anger 
as the primary way of changing others and changing themselves. Last night, Elijah's team played a travel tournament, lost a nail-biter, and the coach from that other team, I immediately saw his coaching style. Shame and anger. (laughs) It must work to some degree for basketball because they won. But his kids didn't look very happy to be playing basketball. They looked nervous about failure. And every time they made a mistake, you look at the bench and all you get is rage from the bench. Timmy, I told you, plug up the middle. How many times am I going to tell you? Are you deaf? And you're like, dude, it's like seventh grade youth basketball. Not the NBA. Even in the NBA, they don't always plug the lane up right. So why don't you get out there and play or something? Just shut up a little. Just And the thing is, I wonder if he, he thinks that the anger is the only way to shape an athlete. For some reason, when I ask kids, which of your parents is angrier, 90% of the kids say their mom. It's not because women have anger issues. It's because children make people insane. And moms have to be around children more. You're the reason moms are like that. The parent that is around you more is crazier. Think about that for a second. Right? Cigarettes cause cancer. Children cause anger. Now, that's a little mean. I know sometimes there's a serious issue. I don't mean to make light of it. But there are some parents who only have one song in their jukebox, and that's the Rage song. It's death metal. And you know what's hilarious is when you watch kids being disciplined by the two parents, the calm parent gets a hearing. The angry parent just gets endurance. Just go to the happy place till they're done making sounds. And every kid has a happy place you go when the yelling parent is in full swing. And you think, oh, man, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences today. I'm hitting home runs. I'm, I'm just, my rage is just pouring out in such eloquence, and they're going to have to learn now. And your kid just going, just hoping you'll be finished soon. And they're enduring it, and you think, now, what did I say? Lots of really loud things. I don't know. Because your voice sounds the same all the time. And I've often said to parents, look, you have to understand this biblical principle is universal. Anger never produces the righteousness God is after. In fact, in Scripture, in Romans, it says that it is God's kindness that leads to our repentance. It's never his wrath that scares us into repentance. It's his kindness and the promise of grace that encourages us to own up to what we're doing. It makes us change. I think it's important for some of us to hear that our anger is an impediment to the righteousness and spiritual growth which God is trying to work out in our lives. So I guess the real question is, what do you want more? Do you want to vent or do you want to grow? Do you want to be proven right Or do you want to become more righteous? And that's not a small rhetorical question. It's a really serious question. When you are really upset and in the face of trials, what is it that you want more than anything in that situation? Do you want to be more like Jesus or do you want to win the fight? Do you want the other person to know they were wrong and you were right? 
Or do you want to become more like Christ through every circumstance? You can't answer that question verbally so much as you're answering it every day by the way you respond in hardship, by the way you control and manage your temper and your deep, smoldering rage and anger and bitterness. And what James says is that anger never caused anything or anyone to grow. Ever. Let me just close with this last thing. Humbly accept the word. James says that we live in a world that is not really conducive to spiritual growth. He says that there is moral filth and prevalent evil. And in order to get the full weight of this, you've got to look a little at the original language. That moral filth is actually a word closely related to the Greek word for earwax. Um, it, maybe the better English word to characterize that word is grime or like a, a gross biological stain. When you check into a hotel and you see something yellowish green staining that bed sheet you're about to put your body on, you go, ew, I'm not sleeping on that because that's a stain. It's grime. It's filthy. That's the thing he's talking about. He says, you live in a world filled, surrounded by grime. It's everywhere, and it's encouraging you to just give in and get dragged down with it. And then he says there's also prevalent evil. That word evil really points more to the wickedness that's coming out from inside of us. It's that hook that the filth all around us wants to grab onto. And so you've got the battle going on two ways. You're trying to hear the voice of God. You're trying to pursue the righteousness that he wants for us. But we're not living in a world that's cheering us on in that direction. The world is trying to drag us down into the grime with it. And you have an angry, bitter heart that also wants to to listen to the world and be grimy for a little while. It is not easy to be shaped by the voice of God. You can't accidentally grow in your faith. It it doesn't happen. You can sit in this church for 20 years and not grow a lick. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have endured my 45 minutes of talking heroically for 10 years and it has never once benefited you. You know who you are, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You sit here, but you cannot be accidentally passively, osmotically affected and grow by the word of God. The only way we benefit from God's word is by seeking it and by receiving it in humility. It's not a magic spell. I can't Jesus you up by preaching stuff at you. I wish I could light incense and the smell gets into your soul and all that. and You you get Christianized, but it doesn't work that way at all. The only way to grow from God's voice is to listen for it And then to receive it. And it's just like with parents and kids. A kid will not grow if he just endures his parents' ranting. Even an angry parent has something true to say to a kid. I've learned that much. They're so bowled over by frustration. They're angry. But what they're saying is actually most of the time right. They're just not saying it the right way. But just because you let them finish talking doesn't mean you've grown from what they've said. I know not everyone here is a parent. How many of you parents have had that moment when you're sitting, you're giving this great speech, and you know your kid checked out? Like, they're, parents, can you read? And you're like, well, you know what? Forget it. 
Forget it. I'm not even going to finish talking because it's clear to me you don't care about what I'm saying. You're not going to benefit. Why would I waste my breath on something like you? <laughs> Just going to go do something else because this time on you is wasted air. That's the way it works. When you just sit there and let someone finish, you don't grow from what they've said. The only way to grow from any voice is to attend to it fully, and if they're right, to receive it, to accept it with humility. That word is, is very much like the word with which you receive an old friend into your house. I welcome you. This is exactly what I needed to hear. Any other voice would have steered me in a very bad place. I needed to hear that. And so James says, will you be like this? Will you reject the filth that is around you? And will you reject the wickedness that is in you and instead desire the righteousness God wants for you? And be very quick to listen for God's voice. And don't be so quick to speak up and defend yourself and your position. Don't be so quick to be angry and bitter. The world won't help you grow But if you want to grow, you can grow. God will not prevent you from growing. His word will grow you as a human being and as a Christ follower. Just wrap up by saying, I think we as Christians owe God a little bit more fight, don't you? I wish we'd fight a little harder for good attitudes I wish we'd fight a little harder to not just give in to our anger and our bitterness and our bad habits, but go, you know what? I'm sick of who I am. I don't like this little whiny voice that I have all the time. I'm tired of feeling sorry for myself. I'm tired of blaming everybody else. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Son of God lives in me. There is power to change. I'm sick of not changing. And if God invites me to grow and he tells me he will give me the resources to grow, then I declare war on my whiny, nasty, weak little self. And I'm going to fight a little bit to hang on to God. I'm going to fight for Jesus to be shaped in me, even though nobody around me is helping out. I think Jesus wants to help me out. And I think we owe him a little fight from us, don't you? Because if you don't fight for your own heart, you will fight with everyone else who is fighting for you. You become defensive, argumentative. You'll become an expert at blocking every word of truth that could help you grow and defending your dead position, which is producing the exact life you enjoy every single day. Is there a point to that? Is there any gain for you in that exercise? Let's be people who trust God. He's not out to jack up your life. He's out to help you, and he's out to help me. And when he speaks to us, that voice is a welcome, trustworthy voice that can be received with humility. We don't have to spar with God. We don't have to fight with him. We don't have to defend and argue our position. We have to receive what he's saying and grow through it. And I think that's just a good place to end is to to seek in our own hearts. Is there a fight in me to cling to God no matter what? Even if you're not an earnest Christ follower right now, aren't there parts of your life you're just kind of sick of already? Broken record. 
same old, same old, never changes. Aren't, you, aren't there things in your life you're just a little sick of? Wouldn't you love for some of those things to change? Wouldn't you love to feel newness from inside springing up again? Never mind spring in the weather. The spring of the heart is one of the most joyful experiences of being a human being. Of emerging out of winter and wanting to be alive again. Rediscovering joy. Rediscovering love. Hope. Rediscovering Jesus Christ, your Savior. It's one of the greatest renewals a human being can experience. So why don't we go to prayer now? Let's ask God to shape us and our habits and our postures and attitudes in a way that opens us up to his voice because he really does want to shape us right now and grow us. There were a couple aspects of my week that were a little challenging. And I know that that's probably the case for some of you. You're coming out of a week that was a real tough one. And your attitude maybe that you carried into church this morning was not the greatest. I totally get that. <laughs> there are days when I'm preaching and I'd rather be sleeping, man. <laughs> I don't always bring a good attitude in here either. But I know something. There's only one hand worth holding on to when I feel like that. There's only one voice that's really going to help me when I'm in that place. If I've learned nothing at all in my dull 46 years of life, it's to at least know which way to point myself when I'm a mess. I want to encourage you to point yourself towards Jesus right now, no matter what state of heart you're in. And maybe say these prayers. God, I trust you. God, I need to hear your voice. God, I really do want to change. I want to grow. I think those are simple things we can say to God, inviting him in. Can you just pause a minute with me and let's just say that to him and invite him. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.